Nikki Haley. And why did you vote for Nikki Haley? Uh, it's a vote against Trump. Uh, I think it would be better to have her against Biden in the uh, elections than it would be Trump and her. Do you consider yourself generally independent, Republican, or Democrat? Uh, Democrat. So when you undeclared, you voted for Nikki Haley. If it was Nikki Haley against Joe Biden in a general election, who are you voting for? Joe Biden. What is the... <laughs> Woo, the shenanigans, ladies and gentlemen, they are on. Shenanigans. Uh, look, I usually don't take these types of things very seriously. Uh, don't really think we can vote our way out of this, if I'm being totally honest, even though I just announced to run for the VP and the LP. I'm just being honest with you guys. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to say, for those that don't know, uh, I have announced. I am I am running for the vice presidency of the United States of America. What am I doing? I have no idea. Uh, I was coerced. <laughs> I was coerced. Uh, Heiss and Horton and Dave and uh, Tom and so many, so many people were very, very uh, encouraging. And I just wanted to, I, I'll probably do a full episode where I, I, I explain my rationale. Um, but I just wanted to, to preface everything with this, I will not be changing. I am not going to change anything about who I am, what I believe, or how I message it. Nothing is changing. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to become a politician, and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. And the reason I, I say that is because I know oftentimes people expect that, oh, you're getting into politics. You're going to, you know, you're going to shift. You're going to change who you are. I believe strongly that I've gotten to where I'm at in life because of who I am. I have no interest in appealing to people with watered down nonsense that doesn't reflect my beliefs. It's that simple. And ultimately I can't look myself in the mirror if I am deceiving anybody. So I've noticed a lot because I have had favorable things to say about Vivek, because when Trump says the right thing, I, I applaud when he does or says the wrong thing, I boo. Uh, a lot of people may, you know, think that that means that I'm a Republican. Usually it's the anarchists that feel this way. My opinion is that when someone does something that I like, that is in alignment with libertarian values, I give them applause. And when they don't, I boo them heavily. I would love it if the Democrats ever did anything that I liked, but they don't. <laughs> like, like in the past few years, tell me something they've done that's good. Tell me. If you can give me one, I, you know I'm very fair. I will absolutely applaud. But there is so little. There is so, so little. And when it comes to Republicans and what they actually deliver, it's almost never good. But during the campaign trail, yeah, they sound a lot like us. And when you have a guy like Vivek who's out there saying, I'm going to cut 75% of the federal workforce, I'm going to clap as loudly as possible because that's the direction we need to be going in. If, if they feel as if they announce that, that's their pitch to America, and it's rejected, well, then why would they, why would they even put it out there? Why would the Overton window shift towards us, right? They're just going to go, well, these guys, these guys don't vote. They don't care. They don't believe me. Why am I going to message like that? So I go the other direction and I go, thank you so very much. I obviously believe you. I know you're going to deliver. No, they're not. They're almost certainly not. But if he promises 75 and I get 30%, that's a tremendous win. Absolutely unbelievable win. So I just wanted you to understand my rationale. And no, I'm not a Republican. I am a... True blue libertarian have been my entire life, and that ain't changing. So I'll, I'll, I'll do more of a deep dive as to my rationale. But the reason I get so offended by clips like that, where you have a, a Democrat, one of many, which, by the way, I'm going to show you a thread in a second that, that shows just a litany of Democrats just all going, yeah, I just voted. I'm a Democrat. Oh, I love, love. Got to get Haley in there. Got anything to stop Trump. Uh, <laughs> the reason I get so offended by it is not that I love Trump, just make that crystal clear, but rather because Nikki Haley is just the human embodiment, the personification of everything wrong with the Republican Party. 
a crony warmonger to her very core. Someone who was absolutely flat broke and then comes out of the UN and gets a multi-million dollar gig on the board of Boeing. She's terrible. And, and when I see Democrats say, it's we have to stop Trump, the guy who started no new wars. Did he do everything great? Absolutely not. But if there's one thing that I can say about Trump is he didn't start any new wars. And unfortunately, that is a rarity in American presidents in my lifetime. Very, very rare. So, if I'm getting... Like, if you realize that it's almost certainly a foregone conclusion that a Democrat or Republican is going to be the next president of the United States, wouldn't you rather the president that is ultimately on, on offer? If you have two choices, I mean, I know there's going to be libertarian choices, and thank goodness, I'll, I'll vote for them. But if there's going to be two choices, would you not want there to be one who's not totally in the bag for the military-industrial complex? Would you not want one? I'm not even saying you're going to vote for them. Would you, if it's, if it's inevitable that one of them is going to be that, would you rather it be Nikki Haley or Donald Trump? And if you go, oh, there's no difference. You're just lying. You're just totally, totally lying. Now, does that mean that, that Trump in his second term won't start a war? He might. World War III could happen. The world could end. I have no fucking clue. But I'll tell you this much. Nikki Haley is a nightmare of a human being, and I'm pretty confident that if she does get in there, we're going to war with Iran, okay? That's what I see happening, and that's at minimum. So she's a non-starter. So when I see Democrats, the party of peace, the anti-war people, that say, well, we're just, all we care about is love and peace and protecting minorities, it's like, okay, how about you protect some fucking brown people in the Middle East by not putting Nikki Haley as the option as the counterpart to Biden, who's a total swamp monster, total warmonger, basically basically a neocon in his own right, it should offend your it should offend you deeply, or at least it offends me. I'll, I'll allow you to feel however you want to feel about it. But you ought to be pissed that this is this is the options that they want. They want there to be a binary choice, but the binary choice is either side of the binary. The military industrial complex prevails. It's infuriating. It's infuriate, and it makes me question the soul of these people. That they that they look at domestic policy and they put it as such a paramount quality that they don't even care about foreign policy at all. Like I, I don't, I, I'm I'm not going to hold it against anybody that says domestic policy affects me more, so it matters more to me. Fair. That's a totally fair outlook. I think it's it doesn't really understand fully the consequences of being an empire in decline and how that will affect you personally. But setting that aside, say you're a, a first order effect type of person. You can't see knock on effects. You have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. Okay, that's fine. You care about domestic policy more. Fine. But do you have any concern for the innocents that die overseas? Any I mean, do you, do you care that there's multiple venues for nuclear war that are on offer on this poo-poo platter for the next year or two? Taiwan, Yemen, Iran. I'm sure I'm forgetting three or four. Russia. Oh, <laughs> only the biggest one. Um, so yeah, I would really like there to be a, an option that that is at least talking about avoiding war. So let me pull you up this this clip or this tweet from Brianna Wu, who's just some Democrat sycophant. But she makes the point that I'm making right now. As a Democrat, I want Nikki Haley staying in the race as long as possible, attacking Trump, splintering the base, and eating up finite finite campaign resources. Okay, it's not an endorsement of Nikki Haley. I can almost respect that aspect of it. But if you read the, the reply she's getting, I agree, if she stays in, she will almost certainly splinter the Republicans just enough to throw the election to Biden, which is why the established Republicans are going to want her out of the race. Me too. I'm not voting in the Dem primary in my state. Just going to go vote for her. <laughs> uh, yes, deeply same. Think she's going to stick around to get smoked in her home state? Oh, that's one of my people. <laughs> Unfortunately, GOP primaries are mostly winner take all with delegates. This strategy can't go on forever. And if she's continue, if she's continually getting swept, correct. And and this is uh, the silver lining in all this is that even though 
and this is this is a, a remarkable statistic of of people self-reporting exit polling in New Hampshire tonight. It was over 50% of the people that were casting votes in that primary were not identifying as Republican. It was something around 40%. And the major almost the majority, the plurality, the largest percentage was identifying as independent and uh and then a small chunk like eight percent were identifying as democrats but i would imagine that a tremendous amount of the people identifying as independent that were casting their vote for nikki haley were in fact democrats that were saying they were independent because they didn't want to have to tell the truth because maybe they thought that they wouldn't be allowed to vote or they just didn't want to you know lie uh as as seriously as saying oh i'm a republican or they probably couldn't even bring themselves to say it. That's probably the truth. They were like, I'm an independent because I can't even I can't even pretend for two circuits that I'd be some inbred Republican. Urgh. So they just lied. But even with that, even with that, Donald Trump beat her by eight points or so. Uh man. The the repudiation that's happening to the neoconservatives in the GOP, regardless, again, regardless of how you feel about Trump is such a positive thing it's so so important like i thought for sure after trump was in and you know he he was undermined every step of the way and the american people were propagandized to believe he was a russian spy and a traitor and a insurrectionist and the list goes on and on that that would really tarnish kind of the america first non-interventionist platform and it seems to not have it seems to have bolstered it in a way that is really heartening. So I, all hope is not lost, ladies and gentlemen. Regardless of whether or not Trump's a good guy, regardless of whether or not he'll carry out any of his promises, the American people are letting it be known. We don't want more war. Hooray. God bless. Very, very proud of you guys. <laughs> it took you long enough, but thank you. Thank you so much. It makes me feel good. Um, so we got we got this really wild clip that that uh charles payne from fox news uh went on a rant for the ages and i thought we would break it down because i think it's it's worth discussing you know charles you talked about uh the issues here and how immigration here is is at the top but it also is an economic issue and right. it crosses all boundaries and it is a weakness for president biden and the democrats uh, Dean Phillips talks about this on the trail, and he talks about how Democrats demean MAGA voters. He talked about it with me today, saying that, you know, it's just strange that they're talking about a, a group of voters like that. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think it's narcissism. I think if it's you've lived in New York long enough. You know, it's maybe a New York thing. Someone punches you, you punch it back harder. That's why I grew up in Harlem. Not so. as the country's at stake, right? He won. He became president of the United States. Uh, with that same personality. I, I don't think that, you know, he, listen, I think it's worse with Biden calling MAGA. Biden's anger and vitriol and hatred for MAGA is far more worse than President Trump's individual battles with someone who crosses him. That is something that is really detrimental to this country, that the president of the United States despises half of the United States. President Biden, I, I said earlier today, I just for about a week ago, I had a segment coming up, so I, I Googled Biden hates MAGA. Nothing but articles after articles after articles. He has expressed hatred for Who's writing the those articles? It doesn't matter. And Look it's I love that you have someone on the panel that's trying to run cover for Biden on this. If you've actually listened to his speeches, and I know many of you probably haven't, but he says over and over and over again, MAGA Republicans, how we have to take our country back from these MAGA Republicans, these dangerous insurrectionists. He is, and this lady is trying to, to trying to justify it, saying he always clarifies that he's not talking about all Republicans. He's not, uh, he's not even talking about all Trump supporters. He's just talking about the dangerous insurrectionists. Uh, excuse me. The people that are voting for Trump, by and large, I'm sure it's not all of them, but by and large, would definitely consider themselves to be MAGA Republicans. Make America Great Again Republicans. You don't have to agree with these people. You don't have to like Trump. But if you can't acknowledge that there's a justifiable reason that 70 million people, give or take, are voting for a guy like Donald Trump, who's running on a Make America Great Again platform, that they're not all beneath you, that they're not all a danger to this country, just as it would be equally absurd if I were to say all Democrats are that. 
or if Trump were to say it. It'd be totally reprehensible. It'd be totally wrong. The vast majority of people across the board in America are trying to better their lives and their children's lives. I believe that. I think that there's a lot more on the Democrat side that are totally out of their mind and are actually damaging their children. But setting that aside, I think the vast majority of people in America are not bad people. The way Joe Biden has talked about the Trump base for years now, for three years now, has been the most divisive rhetoric I have seen in my lifetime. People talk about stochastic terrorism, how it's this provocation that's going to lead towards violence. What is that? We have the, the, the guy in the White House, the great unifier, the adult in the room, the adult is back in the room. And yet he is defining half of this country as MAGA Republicans insurrectionists, dangers to America, yada, yada, yada. It is terribly toxic. Because, because the bottom line is he says it. He has vitriol for them. And so does MSNBC and so does CNN and so does the New York Times. They have vitriol for half of the nation. They don't look at them like fellow Americans. And it's unfortunate. They try to paint them as racist. That all the things that they do to their fellow Americans who simply want a safe home, a safe community, for their children to have prosperity, they want the same thing. But they demean them all the time. That's why I think Phillips was so intriguing because he went to a rally to find out for himself. And guess what? Golly, these are some pretty cool people. That's They're just like that's us. That's exactly what Jamie Dimon said this said week Davos. as well. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's smart to understand. And also you see the shift that's happening, right? You look at, at black voters, Hispanic voters, college women, Latinos who have moved towards Trump. Yes. So it, it, it's no longer that people are in these boxes based on what what their gender is or what they look like. They they appear to want, you know, a safe country and they appear to want uh, a good economy, regardless of, of what label they have. That's completely fine. And I know that the lines have shifted dramatically. And But Joe Biden's responsible for a lot of that. You say that he's demeaned half the country. First of all, it's 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump. And he is explicit every time he talks about the MAGA movement to say that this is a subsection of the Republican Party, which is borne out in elections when you see people voting against Donald Trump. Is it a subsection? Is it? MAGA Republicans, a.k.a. the people that voted for Donald Trump, Subsection, 74 million. <laughs> I mean, it's just so deceptive, so brazenly deceptive to try and excuse that. But I'm not surprised. And this idea that but what about the, the people way voting that Democrats... for him? What about the people voting for yeah, him? He I'm gives teleprompter speeches. I... I mean, you have to understand. Yes, that it's... but he is talking about insurrectionists. No. He is... no yes, no, he is. No, no, no. no. Why went... is he talking about January 6th? And he calls. He says Donald MAGA like it's a swear Jessica, word, you know? A slogan. If you get called regularly, he's and which Democrats do, thugs, he's a commander in head of files. Why can't he call the border a crisis while he's denegrating the Investigating America. No, I, no, the voters are talking about no, that, Jessica. But because this point is about demeaning voters. The President of the United States, a commander in chief, went to Philadelphia a year and a half ago with a Marine posted behind him. I saw. And gave a decidedly political speech where he insulted a, a large part of the country. And I've said many times on this network, and I'll say it again tonight if people, a lot of people, spend a fraction of the time that they spent obsessing over Donald Trump, the person, learning one thing about the Trump voter, things may be very different. This is Joe Biden's version of Hillary's deplorable and irredeemable. And here's one thing we're going to be talking about this for many months. I think that the important takeaway with all this is that once again, there's a, a level of detachment kind of an obliviousness that is born of or from rather a prejudice, unfortunately, by and large towards white people in this country. I really believe that. And obviously not all Trump supporters are white, not even close. Um, but I think a lot of people that are, that are honestly aren't racist, but are minorities that are coming over to the Trump camp is because they don't want to live in a world where there's this oppressor versus oppressed narrative 24-7 shoved down their throats either. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't want that either. So I think that regardless of you know whether or not Trump will make for a good president, I think it is a much healthier dynamic if, if there is a repudiation, not just of the neoconservative movement, but also the woke mind virus really really important that we do not go further down that slope really important 
Because it, it will get to a point that it, it will be a nation that I don't want to be in anymore. If we go further down that path, it's, it's already fairly perilous and I do not enjoy it. So I would really like us to, to reverse course. And I think, I hope, that whoever they replace Biden with to run against Trump, because I'm 98% sure it ain't going to be Biden, because homeboy can barely even talk at this point. I hope that it'll be someone who has read the tea leaves, who realizes that this is now a political non-starter, that appealing to the fringe of the Democrat base that loves this Marxist woke worldview is ultimately a dead end. The, the crazy woke Marxists are going to vote for the Democrat over the Republican regardless. So you don't really have to appeal to them in rhetoric. And even though I don't want a Democrat in power, if they're going to be running, which they are, and if they might win, which they might, I would really rather it be someone who is giving lip service to a more unifying message, one that is less divisive. This is why, despite the fact that I despise Gavin Newsom with every fiber of my being, when I saw him on Bill Maher on Friday, real time, and I saw how much he was going out of his way to moderate his his language when it comes to the wokeness when he was talking about esg and dei as if it was both a boogeyman but also not really a factor and how we're not really gonna um we're, it just seemed as if he was he was trying to he was trying to pull back pull away from the fringe which obviously gives me pause because it tells me he's almost certainly trying to be the replacement for biden but it more importantly, it means that that messaging is failing. God willing. God willing, I'm analyzing this correctly. Um, friend of mine, Zuby, who, by the way, will be on the best political show with myself, Luke Rodowski, and Alex Stein on Monday. That's going to be a wild one. Uh, he talks about this a lot. You know, he's a, he's a black dude from the UK. And he talks a lot about how, how goofy America is. You know, how how it's so obviously not a racist nation and yet we are more obsessed with race than pretty much anywhere he travels and i think that's true it's true we have we have really been psyoped into devouring one another into devouring ourselves which is the saddest part which is exactly how civil wars start is that we we get to a point of hating our fellow our not just fellow men our fellow american our neighbors and and if you do it based off of race, it's like, okay, well, then we're right back in the mid-1800s or something. Or at least, you know, maybe the 1940s, 50s, whatever. It's like, I, no, we were done. We were done with that. I was born into a time where there was no laws on the books that were overtly prejudicial towards minorities for any reason. In fact, I was born into a time when there was many laws that were on the books that were preferential to minorities. You cannot... You cannot make the argument to someone like me, to someone who was born in this country in this time, that this is a deeply racist nation and that, that I should feel guilty and that I have to pay reparations or any of that. It's just totally detached from my lived experience, if that helps them relate to what I'm saying. You cannot explain, you cannot make me believe that. I, I refuse because it's not true. It's not what I've experienced at all. And it's not what any of my minority friends have experienced either. Do you get an asshole racist here or there? Sure. Do you get a shitty cop here or there? Of course. Do we have some work to do? Of course. But in terms of this institutionalized racism stuff, it's just, it's just a thing that doesn't exist in my lifetime the way it did in the past. And to say otherwise is to lie. It is just a lie. So if we could stop lying, that'd be a good step in the right direction, I think. And for those that think that I am off base to believe that Donald Trump is preferential to a second term for Joe Biden, if you are of the libertarian variety, I would encourage you to take these words, maybe not to heart, but at least to take them seriously for one moment. We wanted to stop terror from coming into our country, but I couldn't talk about it because I didn't want to do that. And then the following day, something happens. So I went four years keeping my mouth shut on that particular subject. But now I talk about it all the time. We had no attacks. We didn't have a World Trade Center. We didn't have the attacks like you've seen and certainly that you see in other countries. And by the way, now we're getting involved again in the Middle East. Look what's happening. 
You're getting involved. Here we go again with the Middle East. We spent $9 trillion, killed millions of people, including our side, their side, millions of people. $9 trillion. You know what we got? Nothing. Nothing. You got death. You got blood. You got nothing. And it just, we spent our blood and our treasure, as they say, our blood and our treasure. And our Look, you may once again just assume that this is political pandering, but I pulled up another clip. Donald Trump in 2007, a time when he was definitely not a political figure. He was certainly famous. But listen to what he has to say all the way back in 2007 when talking about the same topic. So, I mean, this is a total catastrophe, and you might as well get out now because you're just wasting time and lives. You know, nobody talks about the soldiers that are coming back with no arms and no legs. And I saw at Mar-a-Lago on Mondays, I make Mar-a-Lago my club that you know about. In Palm Beach. I make that twice now. On a Monday, I let returning Iraqi injured soldiers come to the premises. The most beautiful people I've ever seen, but they're missing arms and legs. They're with their wives. Sometimes they're with their girlfriends and the tears are coming down the faces of these people. I mean, the thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands and the Iraqis that have been just maimed and killed. This war is a horrible thing. Now, President Bush says he's religious. And yet 400,000 people, the way I count it, have died and probably millions have been badly maimed and injured. What's going on? What's going on? And the day we pull out, it's going to explode. We're keeping the lid on a little bit. It's still a catastrophe. But the day we pull out, because they're in a civil war, whether we want to admit it or not, they're in a civil war. Look, everything in Washington has been a lie. Weapons of mass destruction was a total lie. It was a way of attacking Iraq, which he thought was going to be easy, and it turned out to be the exact opposite of easy. Now, does that mean that he will not start any wars in his second term if he's to win? Uh, no, I have no idea. Um, but what it does show is a level of consistency in a in a period where he was not a political figure. He was still, what is that, eight years away from running for president. And this he sounds exactly like the guy he does today. I mean, that was literally the first clip was today. So there's a level of consistency there that I, I believe. I do. I believe him. I believe that he genuinely does not like war. He genuinely looks at the 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 human cost of war and also the financial because he's a business guy and he's always going to look at that too. And he says, this is a waste, man. This is a waste. And maybe that's not the most principled libertarian, non-aggression type of, of outlook to have as to why you might oppose war, but it's a heartfelt one. It's a sincere one. It's, it's one that I can absolutely sympathize with and appreciate. And I think that people ought to give him at least credit for that, that he has, he has built off of the Ron Paul revolution and these, this drive to get away from neoconservatism and towards a non-interventionist platform. And he has, he has helped propel that to being mainstream in a way that the GOP, just a reminder for many, any of my young viewers or listeners out there, the GOP, the guys who cheered as the Patriot Act was drafted, who cheered as we invaded both Iraq and Afghanistan, who could not get enough of the drone bombs or the deployments or whatever. These people wanted, they were out for blood. My entire early adulthood loved it. Had like, did not care at all. Oh, you, why don't you want the government to be able to spy on you? You got something to hide? You a terrorist? You a sympathizer for the terrorists? All the time. I'm telling you, it's like the party's flipped almost. I know they didn't, but the party, it feels like it. For someone of my age, just trust me, if you're too young to know this, talk to someone that's, you know, 40 or above, and they'll tell you the same. It is fucking crazy, the paradigm shift that we've lived through. And Donald Trump has played a big role in that. And I'm appreciative of it. Don't love anything that he did in his presidency, hardly, but I really, really appreciate that. And I think that's way healthier than Joe Biden, who gets up there, lies through his teeth, mumbles and stumbles, and then just fucking launches bombs. 
I mean, we are bombing Yemen right now. We are bombing the Houthis in Yemen in a joint operation with the UK. It's fucking nuts, man. It's fucking nuts. There's so many wars. I think there's still bombs that are being dropped in Somalia. Obviously, we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars arming the Ukrainians as hundreds of thousands of young men perish in Ukraine, all as a product of Joe Biden's interference along, of interference along with Victoria Nuland as he was the point man on Ukraine under Barack Obama. People forget that because it was 20, 2011, 12, 13, 14. It's like, yeah, people forget, but it's true. Joe Biden was the point man on Ukraine that fomented the animosity between those two nations that ultimately led towards Russia's, uh, Russia's invasion. Not removing the culpability of Putin. Relax. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Joe Biden, who never saw a war he didn't want, who never, who never gave a fuck about civil liberties whatsoever, who also made a fortune, or at least his son did, I'll be safe, at least his son made a fortune off of shady de dealings in Ukraine. That's a fucking fact. That's not even remotely denied at this point. And ultimately led towards a war, a proxy war, with the largest nuclear power on Earth. And people want to tell me over and over again, there's no difference between the two parties. Trump's just as bad as Biden. You're lying. You're lying. If, if you... If you care about avoiding World War III, you have to recognize reality for what it is. Donald Trump is a healthier option if that's a priority to you. And if it's not a priority to you, you ought to reassess your priorities because it's a big priority for somebody like me. Not just for me personally, but for every man, woman, and child on Earth because that's really what we're talking about. If there's World War III with multiple nuclear powers... Uh, it's game over. So let's avoid that. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is once again brought to you by Phoenix Ammunition, the premier supplier to the militia industrial complex. With 100% of their sales going directly to American citizens. No military contracts, no law enforcement deals, simply the highest quality American-made ammunition served directly to the people the Second Amendment was written for. Do you know how, do you know how bold of a fucking business plan that is? You know who uses a lot of ammo? The government, the military, the police. And these people are just like, we ain't here for you. We're here for the motherfucking American people that the Second Amendment was written for. God bless America that a company like Phoenix Ammo exists. That's F-E-N-I-X-A-M-M-O dot com. If you get your ammo anywhere else, you're a redcoat. Just fucking move to Britain, don't get braces, have halitosis, be a fucking limey piece of shit. Or you can just get your ammo at phoenixammo.com and stop being a pussy. Come for the ammo, stay for the memes, phoenixammo.com. Rare good news out of Canada as their Supreme Court, or whatever it's called, their uh, Supreme Court, A. Eh? I don't know how they say it. <laughs> so racist um they they came down and said that it is unconstitutional or un i don't know friendly whatever they call it <laughs> sorry i keep talking shit to the canadians i take it back all right they said it's unconstitutional that the the treatment that they are the the laws and the treatment that uh happened against the freedom convoy the truckers of, of a few years back and this is her response to the news so we are aware of the court decision we have discussed it with the Prime Minister, with cabinet colleagues, with senior federal government officials and experts. We respect very much Canada's independent judiciary. However, we do not agree with this decision and respectfully, we will be appealing it. Uh, imagine the audacity to you'd, you'd have to have to have done what you did to the Freedom Convoy, freezing their assets, beating the crap out of them, uh, arresting them, towing their trucks away, when all these guys wanted to do was work and be treated like actual free human beings. The Supreme Court comes down and says, even in Canada, this is unconstitutional. This is not okay. Canada! Where you can do fucking anything to these people, apparently.
You can just strip them of their guns or do whatever the fuck you want. But this went too far, and you still say, we're going to be appealing. And everything we did, we disagree, it was fine. God, reprehensible human beings. By the way, Young Global Leader, World Economic Forum, Miss Christia, as well as Trudeau. I would just like to take a moment to remind Canadians of how serious the situation was in our country when we took that decision. The public safety of Canadians was under threat. Our national security, which includes our national economic security, was under threat. It was a hard decision to take. We took it very seriously after a lot of hard work, after a lot of careful deliberation. We were convinced at the time, I was convinced at the time, it was the right thing to do. It was the necessary thing to do. I remain and we remain convinced of that. That is a chilling, chilling response to being told that once what you did was against your own people's human rights and you go, I just want to be very clear. We thought about this very seriously. We really reflected upon it. We looked at the circumstances and we became, I was, I, I was convinced at the time that it was the right thing to do. And I am still convinced that it was the right thing to do. Violating the human rights of the Canadian people, even after years have passed, even after everything you know about COVID and what it amounted to and the risk factors and everything else, still, even after the Supreme Court says you can't do this to your people, we're still certain that what we did was the right path to take. Oh, get the fuck out of Canada, y'all. Get the fuck out of there. Or at least vote these people out of... I don't know how your system works. <laughs> ask them politely to leave. I think in Canada, by law, if you ask nicely enough, they have to. So just do that. Sorry, I'm going to stop talking shit to Canadians. I love you guys. I know many of you are awesome based savages, so I'm just... I'm giving her a hard time more than you. Um, but man, man, that is creepy. That is really creepy, especially with that, like, I don't know, that, like, that lefty speak, it's just, you know, very, very measured, very, uh, you know, politically correct, of course. Have to say it, you know, long pregnant pauses, and we thought about this deeply. And uh, at the end of the day, our decision to become tyrants was good and proper. And uh, in hindsight, still think so. And we're going to appeal because we'd like to do it to you again. Horrifying people. I mean, whoa. Like at least Gavin Newsom has the, the intelligence, the creepy psychopathic wherewithal to realize that everything he did during COVID, he has to run away from. He has to pretend as if it was, you know, no, it wasn't that bad. You know, he's trying to constantly reframe and California is the free state. They ain't trying to pretend up there. They're saying we did the right thing because it was about public safety. These people are so, so dangerous, man. Like she, she her and Trudeau legit might be more dangerous than Biden and Newsom. Like, <laughs> like they really might. These people are wild to me. Absolutely wild. People freaked out. The whole scientific world did around 2012, 2014 to 16. They banned it. But during this period of time, Anthony Fauci continued to give exemptions to it. But here's the curious thing. The research in Wuhan is going on during this time. We've been funding research in China for a long time, but we keep funding it during the ban. But we can't find records of how they got the exemption. We know it had to go through Anthony Fauci. He says approved all of this research. We can't find it. They won't give us the deliberations. They also set up a committee in 2017. They secretly reopened the door, no more ban, but there was a new committee, a pandemic safety committee that was supposed to review this. There's no way this research shouldn't have gone before the committee. And it didn't go before the committee. All of a sudden it just, boom, it was getting done. 
So for three years, I've been asking, I want to see the deliberations that happened at the NIH. None of this is classified. It's just science research. It's now five years old. I want to see the deliberations on how you made and who made the decision to fund the research in China. But I still can't get it. So there's an elaborate cover-up. So I became intrigued in this. The first year, 2020, you know, I was skeptical. Fauci, I told him he was stupid to close the schools. I opposed him on everything from the beginning. I opposed the lockdowns. I opposed the bailouts. I was the only one on the Senate floor. I went back after I recovered from COVID and said no loudly. It was a voice vote. I was the only no on all that stupid stuff where people stole hundreds of billions of dollars. Dead people got a billion dollars of COVID money. I was the only no on the Senate floor. But as I was opposing this, we still, I became intrigued as the six months to a year when I was like, wow, I read this article by uh, Nicholas Wade on medium.com. Yes. Once again, he was banned Great from piece. everything. He used to be a New York Times writer, banned everywhere. I read this like 25 page story and I'm like, oh my God, they created this in a lab. And I began investigating this and became intrigued by it. But then what really got me to write the book was I saw this exchange of emails between Anthony Fauci on January 31st, feeding into February 1st of 2020. They start about five or six o'clock in the afternoon and it's a crescendo. And you know, as you, as you read something, even if it's not stated in words, you can feel the tension build. You can feel his fear build and you can see his heart clenching up like this. The last email's at three in the morning. And at three in the morning, he emails a guy named Bob Cadillac. I didn't know who Bob Cadillac was. Other people knew him, but I didn't know who he was. And then Bob, I'm sending this article here, you know, sort of in the middle ground, but it was an article basically saying, nothing to see here. This came from nature, not the lab. At three in the morning, he can't sleep at three in the morning. About a year later, we're now two years into this. I meet Bob Cadillac and he was working for the Senate committee, the Republicans, doing a report on the origins of the virus. And I said, Bob, why did you get that email? And he says, well, I was in charge of the safety committee, the pandemic committee that should have reviewed the Wuhan. And he didn't say this, but my, my implication is he's sending him an email because he's going to discover that the research that caused the virus was supposed to go before his committee and he never saw it. So the, 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 as things come together, come together, to me, it is the greatest cover up in our history, a million people died in the United yes. States, maybe 20 million, 10, 15, 20 million worldwide. And it was funded by government, approved by Anthony Fauci, and then the cover-up. And there's a lot more in the book. We go through all the different articles, the scientific articles in Nature and in Lancet, where they came together and they lied. The people all said it was a conspiracy theory, but they didn't reveal that they were receiving money in this. A lot of this we already know because you've been listening to me for years. So I guess uh, I'm just playing it to confirm our worst fears. Uh, but what I think is is remarkable about it is that, you know, Fauci continues to walk around unmolested. No, no investigations, no prosecution, no nothing. And, you know, I've been very, I have been uh, very favorable, as I've said, I've already explained my rationale as to why, but I have been very favorable in my cover coverage of Vivek uh, over the past you know six months step aside Vivek if Trump if Trump puts Rand Paul as his VP which I don't think is likely I, I think it's very unlikely to be honest but if he were to I gotta be honest with you guys I would drop out of my I would drop out of the race I would I like to have Ron Paul's son Rand Paul the guy who in the most important time, rose to the occasion and held Fauci's feet to the fire and, and voted, as he said, even while well, recovering from COVID, he still gave a, a voice vote, the, own, the lone voice vote against all of the insanity during that period. It would be, it would be insane. It would be insane not to want him to be one missed heartbeat away from the White House. Or from the presidency, I should say, because I guess he would be in the White House already. So yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just really appreciative. You know, I'm appreciative that there's. I think uh, this is once again, you know, showing my age. But for libertarians that you know became politically aware in the late '90s and the 2000s, we really only had Ron. We had that's it. There was just one guy, and uh, 
And then now we have one in the House and one in the Senate. And Thomas Massey and Rand Paul are, they are that dude. They are those guys. And I'm so, so grateful that we have them. Not that they're able to prevent bills from passing, because most of the time, almost never are they actually capable of doing that. Um, or, or are they able to even pass bills, you know, auditing the Fed or things like that. But it's just so valuable to have their voices there. And, and the fact that they have been embraced by the conservative media apparatus to any level is really remarkable. And I think it once again goes to show that like our messaging is popular. Like these guys pull ratings. If they didn't, they wouldn't invite them on. You know that, but they do. They invite them on because there's a lot of us out there now. There's a lot of people, even those that aren't, you know, self-described libertarians that hear these guys talk and they go, this is the most rational dude I've heard in a long time. This is the most obviously truthful statement I've heard from a politician in years. I think that's our superpower. I think that's what makes us special is that we don't have to play the fucking game. We don't have to bite our tongue and lie about what we're seeing. We get to tell the truth when it's unpopular. That's probably why we don't win very often, but it's why once we're in there, we grow in popularity because as time passes or our truth telling becomes more blatant and, and obvious. And with the luxury of hindsight, it becomes evident. You cannot look at the Rand Paul versus Fauci hearings over the past three years and come away going, I think Fauci's telling the truth. Come on. There's only one conclusion. Any, any, you know, rational, nonpartisan human being that watches those hearings and actually looks at the science and looks at the scientific studies that have rolled out in, in the aftermath, it's crystal clear. Rand Paul was telling the truth. Fauci was lying through his teeth. And as far as I'm concerned, Rand Paul's a hero for it. So thank you. Thank you, Rand Paul. You give me hope, brother. Uh, oh, speaking of hope, I want to leave you guys with this, or maybe I'll do two more clips, but yeah, I'll do two more. Uh, we got Sean Strickland, who is the former UFC, I think it's middleweight champion. This is just a kind of a heart-wrenching rant that I wanted to talk about. Like, we live in the matrix where like, society actively tries to numb me. They actively try to say, hey, when you wake up at four in the morning and you have to go lay rebar in LAX and you don't make enough money, even though you work an eight hour job with overtime, you don't make enough money to raise a family. So guess what? Now your wife also has to work a job. And go, don't worry, the, 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 you, the, the school system will raise your kids. And, and all while they do that, they, they beat you into the fucking dirt and they say, hey, but you know what? You could try this new vodka, Jack Daniels. It's fucking great, go down smooth. And it's so difficult in life not to want to reach towards, even if it's a social media addiction, even if it's a sex addiction, it is so difficult in life for the average man to, to go work his ass off, come home and still not have enough. And all you gotta do is take a drag, take a hint, take a drink. And for that split moment, the worries go away. It's a heart, heartbreaking one, but I think a lot of people do feel that way. And I've got two or three points to make about this. First off, I think this is where this is our job in the libertarian Austrian economics community to explain why it's becoming harder and harder for people to get by, why it is so challenging, why almost every couple or, or, you know, parenting duo has to hit, hit the, you know, the workforce to be able to afford, <clears throat> to be able to afford anything for their kids to be able to afford a house or even rent, to be able to put food on the table, to be able to pay off their credit cards. It's very challenging, but a huge, the driving factor in that, aside from globalization, which does drive some of the, the jobs offshore um, and, and depresses you know, prices or depre depresses uh, salaries, wages, is that uh, inflation just makes it very, very expensive to live. I mean, if you, the, the inflation numbers that the government gives us are such bullshit. Like all you have to do is look at, go through a fast food drive through like anywhere in the country. Certainly if you're on the coast, it's fucking astronomical, the increase, but it, I, I've also, because I've traveled, I've traveled so much over the past year, 
just looking at, at a fast food joint in Iowa, <laughs> the prices are doubled. I mean, that's not, that's not an exaggeration. The prices have doubled. It'll be like a combo meal that used to be five bucks is 10 or 11 bucks. I'm like, I'm in fucking Iowa. I thought for sure. I swear to you. I thought for sure. This was just like a Miami thing. I went back to Cali. Same. I went to Iowa. Same. I go, you know, DC to do Tim cast. Same. It's amazing. It's amazing. The, I mean, the price inflation, the food inflation alone is enough to drive a, a impoverished person into homelessness. Like it's, it's getting that bad. And this is all a product of the money printer. And I think that the better, the better job we can do at that, the more we can hold the Trump supporter and then therefore as a knock on effect, Trump himself hold his feet to the fire to say, look, we're not dummies. We understand that what you did in 2020, the four plus trillion dollar bailout bill, the most massive transfer of wealth from the poor and the middle class to the uber wealthy that's ever happened in human history and the inflation knock on effects that have come from that have been catastrophic and devastating to the, to everyone in this country, but even more starkly so to the poorest, you can't do it. <laughs> you, you have to remedy that. And the only way you remedy that is to shrink the size of the state and to stop printing. If you want to defend the dollar or you can migrate and, you know, go to Bitcoin or, or do, uh, you know, gold backed currency again, but you cannot continue on this path. It is absolutely killing people. And I think kind of the, the more optimistic note that I wanted to leave you with on this particular clip was that I think that there's the reason that I've had so much success in life, regardless of, of what career I have been endeavoring to take on has become, has been because I only take on career paths that I'm really passionate about. And I think, you know, in that, in that regard, Sean Strickland's a good example of it, a UFC guy. You know, if you've heard his life story, it's absolutely heartbreaking getting you know beat by his parents or I don't know which, I think it was his dad. Um, very rough childhood. I'll just leave it at that. But he, he made himself into a champion. He made himself into a millionaire. And he did so with just throwing every ounce of him into training to be a fighter. Well, I have thrown every ounce of me into everything I've done because I've only done things that I was passionate about. And I think far too few people pursue things that they are genuinely passionate about. I mean, this is why I look up to Dave Smith so much because he forged a new path in a way that, I mean, no one has ever done before. Sure. He looked at Rogan and said, oh, he's a, a comedian that started a podcast and he's now having some success. Um, but like, that doesn't mean that Dave was going to succeed because that's not what Dave did. Dave had a comedy podcast in Legion of Skanks, but then he also branched out with part of the problem, which was explicitly libertarian. That is not what Joe Rogan did. Joe Rogan found success by, you know, kind of being the stoner dude who was talking shit with his friends for the most part with uh, later on years down the road, he started to do more political commentary. Um, but Dave just did a political show a libertarian, a niche political ideology, political show. And it does over a hundred thousand viewers slash listeners per episode, maybe significantly more than that. It's remarkable. He forged his own path, but the only reason he prevailed in my opinion, because I'm sure he was destitute for the, the early five, six, seven, eight years of what he was doing, maybe even more is that he was just for real passionate about it. It was not like, this is why I so desperately wanted Dave to run is because I knew that to have found success doing what he was doing could only mean that he meant every fucking word of it, that he, he loved it from the smallest toe to the top of his head, his, every fiber of his being. That's a, that's a passion that that you can't fake that is, is naturally picked up on by the audience. And it's the exact same reason that I do the same thing that I am just that passionate. I, I feel it just as deeply as he does. That's why I, we become such good friends too, in my opinion, um, is that it's rare to find people that are, are on the same path that are committed 
to the same goal and mean it to the same extent. Very, very rare. And I think that that's, that's what we need more of. I'm not saying that this path is your path. I'm saying that I, I strongly believe that everyone has that path. They have something that they are so deeply passionate about that it, if they were to dedicate their life to it, to, to giving all of themselves to that endeavor, that they would find not just fulfillment, which is vitally important, but also happiness and success, financial and otherwise. And if more of us do that, I think we create a much better world. So this is my encouragement to you to go do that. Speaking of uh, encouraging people on entrepreneurial paths, Top Lobster, my boy, new shirt, Tower Gang, Dingers. You can guess as to what that means. I don't really know. Uh, but yeah, toplobster.com if you want to pick up new Liberty Lockdown or Tower Gang merch. I will be in Georgia in two days-ish, uh, Saturday going to be moderating the presidential debate in Georgia. Just Google LP Georgia convention, state convention. And it'll be, I think it's the 27th and it'll be me and tower gang doing a live show right after the debate. And then Adam Nutter closes us out. It's going to be a fucking nutty time. I swear to God, I don't know what, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with this political party that they would put tower gang anywhere near it. Like they, they ought to like, instead of actually hiring us to come do the show, they ought to be filing a restraining order against all of us. But instead, they decided to pay us to come out there and talk shit. Oh, what a fucking time to be alive. Toad is going to be in the presidential debate. I don't think anyone is really thinking deeply enough how fucking hysterical that's going to be. Uh, speaking of <laughs> hysterical things, I just wanted to uh, briefly mention that Owen Benjamin, who has been firing shots at my people for weeks now, all because I had anything positive to say about an Indian American and Vivek Ramaswamy, he has been going absolutely ballistic. Now, Owen has done Tower Gang multiple times. I, I'd consider him a friend, honestly. I don't know if he'd consider me the same. We hardly know each other, but we've he's done Tower Gang a bunch of times. We follow each other. I like him a lot. He says on his streams he likes me. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but he is just... He has been butchering our ideology in a way that is is deeply offensive to me. And he's got a bunch of clips out there, five, eight minutes, that I am prepared to absolutely eviscerate. However, out of respect for him, he has he has he has assured me that he will come on this show next week and hash it out with me, mano y mano. If he does that, then I will not dismantle his clips because I will have him there. We could have a back and forth. And for the record, I want it to be cordial. I I, I think that he lives a very uh, anarchistic lifestyle. He's got a farm and big family and, you know, gardens and married and lives a good life. And he's entrepreneurial. He started his own app and he's been canceled from everywhere. Very libertarian lifestyle, like kind of a, an ideal libertarian lifestyle, to be honest. So I don't have any malice towards him. And I think he's one of the funniest human beings alive. He's probably too racist for most of you, but I like really fucked up humor. So I enjoy him. Um, but I think that like his lifestyle is so similar to what most of us aspire towards that we ought to be able to have a conversation and keep it cordial. We'll see. We'll see if I'm right or wrong on that one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know because he <laughs> he certainly may may come in guns bla blazing. Uh, but anyways, point being, I think it'll be Monday or Tuesday next week, one on one. Clint Russell, Owen Benjamin. Let's uh, may the best man win, and hopefully, instead of winning, we just walk away with a better understanding of each other's worldviews and hopefully we can be uh copacetic moving on last clip i want to get into and that is piers morgan and charlemagne the god this is just embarrassing that piers morgan ever actually sounds like the smartest person in the room but in this case that's what no, happened you mentioned obama so this is an interesting little question i always throw people interesting if you guys know the answer how many uh, immigrants illegal immigrants did barack obama deport in his eight years as president. Oh, I don't know. Have a guess. No clue. No clue. Mm -hmm. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know. I mean, I know it was a lot, but I don't know the exact number. Have a guess. Oh, I don't know. Give me, give me a number. I actually have read that it's more than Trump. Give, give me a number. I really don't know. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Eight years. Eight years. How many, how, many, I don't know. how many people did he physically have deported in eight years? I have no idea. Well, give me a number. <laughs> you don't want it, do you? No, I really don't know. I really I don't know no even clue. where to begin. I don't know if it's tens of thousands, millions. I don't know I'm where sure to begin. Millions. 
Hmm? But I've, re I've read the answer, that it was more the than Trump. The answer is over three million. Damn. He was known as deporter in chief by Mexicans. Yes, and right. that was more than Trump. Did. He deported way more than yeah. Trump. So they go back and forth for for minutes here, but I just wanted to start off with that that segment because I think it's it's funny when someone's own cognitive dissonance is challenged, and they are instantly on the defensive to the point that like they don't want to play any hypothetical game because like if they guess too high, well then. Maybe they don't. Maybe he doesn't support Barack Obama, which would be sacrilegious. If he guesses too low, then he sounds like a sycophant. So he's just going to bite his tongue, even though it took a full minute for him to even like get to an answer. Just back and forth. Just give me a number. Just, just, just a guess. <laughs> he wouldn't guess. He would not guess. But here's the reality. Barack Obama did deport more people than Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who's the racist who said that they were sending you know, rapists and murderers and all this stuff. Who's the racist? I mean, if, if, if just deporting people is what amounts to being a racist, well, then you have to then conclude that Barack Obama is a bigger racist towards people from Latin America than Donald Trump. How dare he? So why would you vote for him? So you can't acknowledge that. Uh, then he says, who dropped more bombs? Right away, Charlemagne answers this. Barack Obama. So it's like, okay, then how do you, how do you get to a point of supporting this guy? And now... Charlemagne also was just on, I think it was uh, in Jetty or whatever that breaking points, I think it is. And they were talking to him about Joe Biden. And, and again, he was like, he's like, look, Joe Biden hasn't been a good president. <laughs> you know, he was like, he was willing to acknowledge that. He's like, lots of, lots of pitfalls, but ultimately, you know, democracy hangs in the balance. Honestly, I'm not even going to like try and pretend to know whether or not Charlemagne is telling the truth or if he's just this dumb, but it's really remarkable that you would still, after years, years of, of Biden just destroying the country, you would still, still say that Donald Trump means the end of democracy. So we can only choose one guy. And that one guy is responsible for the crime bill that put more black people behind bars than any president or any politician alive. Like, where is the rationale here? And, and ultimately, he has been relegated from, you know, Donald Trump's a racist. Well, okay, yeah, Biden's more racist. Well, Donald Trump is uh, dangerous in terms of war. Well, Barack Obama dropped more bombs. Well, Donald Trump's dangerous in terms of immigration. He's a racist towards Mexicans and Latin Americans. Well, uh, Barack Obama deported more people. And he's like, all right, well, all I've got left, literally the last thing I have to hold on to is the guy who left office the day he was supposed to if he were to get back into power at 79 years old or whatever that he would never leave <laughs> as if he's going to live forever i mean it's just it's just grasping at straws in a way that's really profound when people just, show you who they are you got to believe them. We, we are, we've seen enough of trump to know who i he is. i agree and trump good bad and ugly is who he is he's mm -hmm. not going to change at 77 right mm -hmm. he's not so you know what you're getting. You know what you're voting for this time. If America votes him in again, it's because they want to. That's a fact. Yeah. Right? You can't That's get right. away from that. That's right. And by the way, his his popularity amongst African Americans is rising as Biden's falls. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Is it I remember candidate? when Biden came on this show, right? And he started was Oh it, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with you. And, he, and he started saying if you don't vote for me, then you're not black. You're all right. It was a stupid joke, but what a stupid thing to say. And actually, how ironic that ever since he said it. <laughs> the kind of black votes disappeared from him, right? Yeah. Is there a candidate that could beat him? Do you think that there is a candidate that could beat Trump? I, If I yeah, were the I Democrats, I would absolutely go for somebody like Newsom, right? Yes, he's progressive, but he's moved himself. All right, I can't. I got to stop it there. <laughs> I can't have him endorsing Newsom on my show. It's too offensive to my sensibilities. Um, but I just think it, it's really remarkable that, you know, I forgot about that clip, that it was Joe Biden that, that went on The Breakfast Club and, and told told Charlemagne to his face if you don't if you vote for Trump then you ain't black he said that to Charlemagne i mean it's just like all the black guys i know like they would never let a white dude say that to them like if you don't do this then you're not black like that would instantly be like oh you're now my enemy like i don't respect you at all but joe biden joe biden said that straight to his face 4 so years ago and he still stumps for the dude. He still is like, he's still his booster. It's just a, it's a, it's a remarkable capture of a human being in a way that 
I mean, if I'm being honest, it's reminiscent of slavery, where you just you just cannot, for the life of you, manage to free yourself from these ideological chains, these these deceptions that have made you think that in some in some way, Joe Biden is your ally, when in reality, it's Donald Trump who did the first step back. It's Donald Trump who who worked on uh, criminal justice reform. What has, I, um, this is a sincere question. Drop it in the chat if I'm wrong. What exactly, because I know, I know Charlemagne's a big identitarian. He's always talking about the black community and I want, you know, lift up my people, that type of shit. So what has he done? What has Joe Biden done to benefit the black community? Because if you look at the polls, if you look at the, the shift in preference from Biden, from the black dudes straight to Trump, I think the answer is, He's doing a lot not to help them. In fact, to hurt them. So, why the fuck are you still pimping for him? Like, why are you still pimping him out? I don't get it. I don't get it. And I just think that, like, I just hope that people in his audience are reflecting, like, who are these people? And if he's not just the dumbest dude alive, well, then he's bought. He's you, you have to be bought. You're either the dumbest person alive to believe all of the, these lies still years down the road, or you're being paid for this opinion, or you're doing it for access and advancement in your career, whatever, whatever the answer is. It's just sad, dude. It's sad. Anyways, <laughs> if you want to support my work, libertylockdown.locals.com. Uh, got a pretty wild lineup. Got uh, Michael Rexenwald on the best political show with me and Luke tomorrow, along with Drew Outstandingson, someone who was injured from the COVID era. I'll just leave it at that for now. And the next day, oh, oh, tonight we had on James O'Keefe and Seamus Coughlin. I mean, doing big things over here. I know I still would rather you stay here because this is my solo show, but we're doing big things over there. Uh, it's all one word. We are change on Rumble. If you want to check it out, hundreds of thousands of people are, are watching, which is fucking nuts to me. <laughs> it's really, really cool. Uh, but I am most appreciative of those that tune in to me solo because you love me so damn much and I love you just as much. Actually, I love you more. Uh, please do continue to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, hit the like button, leave a comment, share it around, subscribe, and be the best version of you. Do not give up hope. There's no reason to be hopeless. I sincerely believe that. Love you. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?